So, um, last Sunday when Davy spoke, um, he was speaking Matthew chapter, reading or teaching from Matthew chapter 18, the first part. And um, when he was speaking, I was just looking ahead in my Bible, and the next, the last part of Matthew chapter 18, it talks about the unmerciful servant. And I thought to myself, you know, if there's a, a sermon I would like to preach, it would be that. Because it's something actually that I'm, I'm kind of passionate about. And then so I went out after uh, the service with a friend of mine, went out for dinner. He wasn't at the service, but uh, he was asking, you know, how was, uh, how was Pursuit? And I said, it was good. You know, Davey spoke, and you know, what was it about? And I said, you know, I said to him, I said, uh, the last part of Matthew chapter 18, that would be great if I could speak that. It, it's just something I'm passionate about. And he goes, well why don't you just ask Joel if you can do it? I said, well, that's not really the way that I do things. I, I'm, I, no, I'm not going to do that. So anyways, the next day, I was out on a bike ride, and I get a text from Joel, and he says, Shane, do you want to speak next Sunday? <laughs> and I said, the last part of Matthew 18? He's like, yep. I said, I'm in. So that was pretty cool. So that was on Monday. So then on Tuesday, on Tuesday night, I had this dream. Well, I start, at first I started to, sort of praying into it and, you know, okay, what am I going to talk about? And I talk about this topic a lot of times just with friends and, and whatever, so I'm somewhat comfortable with it. And um, so Tuesday night I have this dream. And I'm 48 years old, and in the dream, I'm my age, but I'm with all my high school graduates, my grade 12 class. And um, I come into this auditorium, and we're about to write a math exam. And I've got my textbook in my hand under my arm, but I haven't studied a bit, like nothing, because I had such a busy week. And I came in, and everybody's cramming. The exam's starting in a few minutes. And, and uh, so I asked th- this one guy, he was... <laughs> the brainiac of the, of the group. He was the valedictorian, and he's just cramming. I'm like, what are you doing? Because this is going to be a hard exam. I said, well, I haven't really studied. And then I thought to myself in the dream, I thought, but I'll know what the answers are. I'll know how to figure out the problems because I'll just use life experience because now I'm 48. I'll just know what the answers are. Anyway, so then I woke up, And so now it's Wednesday, and like all morning, that dream is just in my head. And like this this guy, Rick, who was in the the dream, I haven't talked to him in over a year. So it's not like I was hanging out with him recently or anything. And so I started to ask the Lord, I said, what, does that dream have any relevance? That's what I felt him say. This was on Wednesday, maybe about, I don't know, midday, 11 or 12 o'clock. And I felt him say, This is going to be an incredibly busy week. And you're not going to have time to prepare to speak on Sunday. But don't worry about it. Because just, I want you to go up there and speak from life experience. So, I actually haven't really prepared for tonight, (laughs) to, to be honest. I did print out a bunch of scriptures that the Lord gave me. So, I'm not really sure exactly how this is going to go. But uh, if you can have some grace for me, that would be wonderful. So the text is, um, 
It's Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. I think Curtis is... There we go. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He begged him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless he forgives his brother or sister, if you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. <clears throat> so that's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty heavy story. <clears throat> the topic is obviously forgiveness. And I mean, I, I think most of us have heard this probably many times. The, uh, the context, you know, if, Jesus is telling a parable, God's forgiven us such a great debt. And we hold people who owe us things or who have done us wrong, and we hold unforgiveness against them. And we forget what Jesus has done for us. And so in, in praying for, this, uh, for me to speak, what I felt that the Lord wanted to do tonight was... Um, you know, Jesus, he walked into the temple, and they handed him the scroll, and he opened the scroll, and he spoke from Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach glad tidings to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, to set the prisoners free. And when I was praying, the Lord gave me that scripture. And, you know, a lot of times... We, we think of that in the context that he wants to set us free, and he does. 
you know, maybe from addictions or bondages or whatever it is. But for tonight, what I felt the Lord speak to me was that in that parable, the unmerciful servant, it says that he took his fellow servant who owed him this small debt and he locked him up in prison. And what I felt the Lord was saying to me is that a lot of us lock people up in our hearts. We put them in prison in our hearts because they've done us wrong, because they've offended us. Maybe they said something poorly. Maybe they unfriended us on Facebook. Maybe they lied about us or they didn't keep their word, whatever it is. And we lock them up until they repay. And what I felt, what I felt the Spirit just speaking to me this week is that he wants to come into this place And, you know, we're like the jailer. We're like the warden of our own heart and that we just watch over it and we lock people in there until they, because they've done us wrong, until they pay us back. And I just felt that the Holy Spirit wants to come into this place tonight with the master key and he just wants to start unlocking hearts and he wants to set those that we've held captive in our hearts free. He wants us to open our heart and just let those people out so that we can walk in freedom with them in relationship and, and just to restore those things that the enemy has, has taken from us. So I'm just going to pray if, if that's all right. I know Joel did, but um, yeah. So, so Heavenly Father, yeah, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this room. We know you're here already. And Holy Spirit, I ask that even as I speak, that you would maybe bring to remembrance just any offense that we might have with anybody, any debt that we might be holding against somebody, that you would just have that person pop into our mind and into our our heart. And God, we, we a lot of times, we don't have the strength to open up that door, but you're here tonight, Holy Spirit. You just want to take that key and open that door for us. You want to do the things that we can't do ourselves. And so I just ask that you would just move around amongst this, this auditorium, through the rows and the aisles, and that you would just start speaking to each heart. Yeah, I just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. might have a few pauses as I sort of think about what I'm going to say next because I, I don't really, like I said, I don't have a pattern or a, any real notes. I just have some scriptures here. You know, I'm going to read, there's another passage that speaks of the same, on the same topic. It's from Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 45. <clears throat> but to you who are listening, I say... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what... 
Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? Even the sinners lend to sinners and expect to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you and your children, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told, us, he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and when you yourself fail to see that there's a plank in your eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For from the mouth speaks what is, heart, what is in the heart. So this is how I think that, you know, one day we're all going to stand before God. Scripture says, Jesus said that we're going to be accountable for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. This is actually how I think Judgment Day is going to work. I might be wrong, but this is what I think is going to happen. This scripture says, judge not, or, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I think we're going to stand before God one day, and he's going to open up a book. And there's a book in heaven with each one of our names on it. It talks about in Psalm 139 that there's, there's, every day is written in a book before even one of them comes to pass. And I think he's going to open up a book. I'm going to stand before him one day, and he's going to open up a book with my name on it, and he's going to say, okay, Shane, how do you want me to judge you? And either he's going to find in that book that I was a fault finder, and I held something against everybody that had something against me, and I had offense, and I nitpicked, and I complained about things, 
And he's going to say, okay, I will judge you the way that you judged others. I think we give him the playbook on how that happens. And that scripture goes on to say that um, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, it will pour into your lap. A lot of times that's, people think that's talking about finances, and it's not. The whole chapter is talking about judgment and how we judge others and forgive others or don't forgive them. Or he's going to look, open up the book and he's going to look and he's going to say, well, you forgave everybody. You didn't hold anybody, anything against anybody. I can't find any fault. And he'll, he'll look through the pages of my life every day that's been written in a book. And he'll say, I hold nothing against you because you held nothing against others. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus, he walked this earth. He was without fault. He was sinless. He was perfect. Yet, they crucified him for that. And we're supposed to be found in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to represent Christ here on earth. And when we walk in unforgiveness, when we walk in unforgiveness towards others, we are not representing Christ well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So the, the question, you know, I was, just as I was thinking and praying about this, is why do we so often walk in unforgiveness towards other people? And why do we, when we've been forgiven this massive debt that we could never repay, you know, we... We were born into sin and we live in sin and we continue to sin and God forgives us. How can we hold something against our fellow brother or sister? And I I think the reason that we do it is because we actually don't know our identity. And so in thinking about this, if we go back to the book of Genesis, and so in the book of Genesis, Adam It says in Genesis chapter 1, I think maybe verse 26 or 27, it says that God says, let's create man in our own image. And it says, in the image of man, he created them. or Sorry, in the image of God, he created them. Both male and female, he created them. So the question that that we have to ask, I ask these questions all the time, is, okay, what is the image that man was created in? Like, does God have arms and legs and eyes and nose like we do? What is the image of God? And I believe that the image of God is summed up in three words, and it talks about it in First Corinthians or First uh, John chapter four. It says God is love. I believe that when Adam was created, he was created in God's image, which was the image of love. 
So then the serpent comes along, and the serpent, he tempts, he tempts Eve, and Adam and Eve eat from this tree that they were told not to eat from, and the tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I'm going to propose that before Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they had no knowledge of evil because they were created in the image of love. Love was what they, they operated from. So if, if Eve did something or said something that was misunderstood to Adam, he didn't see what she did or said, or he saw her through the lens of love because he was created in God's image. And when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he started to judge and he started to, to say, well, that's evil and that's good. And he started to separate those things. And I'm going to propose that the reason that we carry offense against other people is because we neglect to see the image of God that's written in them. That when we look at somebody... And they've offended us. Maybe they said something wrong. Maybe they unfriended us on Facebook. Maybe they lied. Maybe they stole from us. Maybe even there was some abuse in some way or the other. And we take offense at them because we don't see the value because we eat from the tree of knowledge and we look at the evil and we judge them. And we don't see the image that God's put in them. And if somebody mistreats us, quite often even we pray. We pray that God will change somebody's heart and he'll change who they are and change the situation. But we're not praying for their sake. We're praying for our sake. It's a selfish prayer. It's self-centered. It's self-seeking. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, it says that love does not seek its own. And so even a lot of our prayers, it, they're self-seeking, they're self-centered prayers. We're praying because we want it to benefit us. And we fail to see the whole reason that Jesus hung on the tree. You know, we, we look at Jesus, and he hung on a cross like this cross. And we think he hung on that that tree to make our lives better. We think he hung on that tree so that we could have blessings and that everybody would treat us nicely. He hung on that tree to restore relationship with God. He hung on that tree to reveal our identity so that we could step into the image of love, so that we could rediscover who we are, we could rediscover the character of God in us. In Revelation chapter, I think it's chapter 12, maybe verse 11 or thereabouts, it says that they defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they feared their lives not even unto death. I used to always think that that feared their lives not even unto death was to be martyred for for your faith. And that's probably part of it. But maybe it's dying to self. Maybe part of that, 
that we defeat the enemy when we die to ourselves, we fear our lives not even unto death, that we will allow ourselves to die to ourselves so that we can't even take up offense. I don't think it's right that a Christian could walk in offense. Because if Jesus is the one that we follow, and like that scripture I said that says in, in Luke where it says that a student isn't greater than his teacher, Jesus didn't carry in a, any offense. So how could we carry offense against people? Scripture says that um, in Galatians chapter 2, I think it is, it says that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ Jesus that lives in me. So if I've been crucified, how can I carry an offense? If I am dead and I become alive in Christ, how can I carry an offense with somebody? So if somebody treats me poorly, my response has to be to love. It has to be to love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, again in the love chapter, it says that love never fails. Everything else will come to an end. It says, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. It goes on to all the things that, you know, if, putting it in, even in our language, if I attend pursuit and I go to church regularly and I tithe and I read my Bible and do devotions and I go to the ark and I go to L.A. and I do all of these things, but it means nothing if we're not operating out of love. And a lot of those things that we're doing, it's, it's very self-seeking. Because in, in that chapter, it says, let me just find it and I'll, I'll read the whole chapter. I think Curtis has it there as well. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to, the, to hardship that I may boast but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when, we're, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child or responded like a child. When I became a man, I put the childish ways behind me. For now we see only 
as a reflection in the mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I believe a lot of times the reason that we that we fault find and we walk in unforgiveness is because we don't see the image of God in others, which is love, because God is love. And I would challenge each person here to, you know, just even as I'm I'm speaking and as I prayed that you know, you just start thinking of people maybe that that you have an offense with and you have to let go. And you have to see them the way that God sees them. Because whether they're somebody that you want to hang around with or not, Jesus died for them. The price that was paid for them was the jewel of heaven. You don't, you don't pay $1,000 for something that's only worth $10. You pay $1,000 for something that's worth $1,000. The value that's put on the person that you have an offense with, God paid the jewel of heaven. He sent his son to die for that person. And that's the value on them. And if we treat them anything less than that, we're not seeing the value that God sees in them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10 to 24. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but does not have pity on them, how can God's love, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, speech, but with action and truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts 
at rest in, in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have the confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gives us. I spoke here, I've, I've spoken here, I don't know, maybe two or three times, something like that. And it was maybe a couple of years ago. I had spoke about, um, it was from Psalm chapter 1, specifically verse 3. And the Lord had showed me 13 different things in that one verse. And most of you probably weren't here, or you probably wouldn't remember it if you were here. But um, one of the things that, that he spoke to me about was, so this is Psalm chapter 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but on his law he delights day and night. Verse 3 says, He is likened unto a tree, a man, sorry, he is likened unto a tree, that is planted by the streams of water. He bears his fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The Lord asked me a question when I was meditating on that. And he said, he said, why does it say that he's a tree that bears fruit in season? Why doesn't it say that he's a, a flower that blooms in season? I said, I, I don't know. And he answered me and he said, because fruit has a purpose. Fruit is meant to be eaten and it's meant to give life and sustenance. And then he said, who's the fruit for? Because a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. And then he answered me and he said, the tree is for the one looking up or the fruit is for the one looking upon the tree. And then he said, what is the fruit that it produces and what is the season that it produces it in? And he answered and he said, the fruit is the nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is against such things there is no law. And then he said the season is the moment in time that you can produce that fruit that the fruit's needed. So if somebody does something that requires patience, can you produce patience in the moment it's required? Can you produce love 
and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And all, all, can you produce whatever fruit's required at the moment? And the only way you can produce the fruit that's required is if your, deep, your roots go deep. It says that the tree is planted by the streams of water. And he asked me, he said, what are the stream, or he said, what, what, what is the tree planted in? I said, it's planted in the earth. And he said, what is the earth? And he said to me, the earth is the logos word of God. It's the written word of God. And he said, your roots have to go deep into the written word of God. And he said, what are the streams of water that it's planted by? And he said, the streams of water, that's the rhema word of God. That living, breathing, moving a live word of God. And he said to me, he said, why isn't the tree planted in the streams of water? Why is it planted by the streams of water? And he said to me, because if it was planted in the streams of water, it would be swept away by every wind of doctrine and personal prophecy and be grounded in nothing. And he said, what if it was planted out in the desert where there was no water? He said, it would become a dry tree and it would become dead because it would be drawing on no water. But he said, if you become like the tree and you ground yourself in my written word and you push your roots down to find the rhema word, and every rhema word you filter through the written word of God, in the moment that you have to produce fruit, you'll produce fruit. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to. It will come naturally. It'll be the response to every situation. You'll produce fruit. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. So when somebody comes along that requires patience, instead of getting offended at them, if you produce patience or kindness or love or gentleness, the fruit's for the one looking upon the tree. They can choose to pick the fruit or not. That's not our business. It's our business to produce fruit. If they pick that kindness off the tree and they bite into that apple or whatever it is, into that fruit, into that kindness, just like when you bite into an apple, when you make the choice to sink your teeth into that, now you have no control where the vitamins and the nutrients from that apple go into your body. You have no control. And when they taste of the kindness and the goodness and the self-control when they taste of the fruit of the spirit it's the fruit of the spirit and it comes because you've planted yourself in the word of god and you've drawn from that living water from that rhema word when they eat of that it will start to affect and change them even the act of kindness or goodness it will start to change and transform other people It's our job to produce fruit. We're not to go around judging others and critiquing and saying, well, they shouldn't have done that, and well, they shouldn't have, you know, they knew better. First John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does, not, 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love for us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he loved, he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this, this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I was going to invite the band to come up. (laughs) You know, quite often, we want what he gives, but we don't want to give what he gave. I'm just going to tell a little personal story to sort of finish off here. Ten years ago, it was the, the uh, spring of 2009. I was going through the most difficult time in my life. There's some things that happened. And I was confronted with this very topic of the 
unmerciful servant. I'd been forgiven such a massive debt. And it was on a Saturday night. I was actually in this auditorium, and I was sitting upstairs on this side. And during the, during the service, the Lord dropped into my spirit this verse from Micah. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And it says, this is what I require of you, O man, is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I was in a time of fasting, and I was contending for this situation in my life. The Lord dropped that scripture into my spirit, and I was sitting up here, and I just started to weep. I was a broken man. And so I started to meditate on that scripture, and it was a Saturday, and Sunday, and Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday came, and I was fasting. I was fasting about nine or ten days at this time, and I was praying for breakthrough. For my sake. And I was calling out to God that he would change the situation for my sake. And I was in my bedroom on the Wednesday. And I was praying. This has only happened to this degree twice in my life. The presence of God came down so heavy in that room, he knocked me to the floor and I couldn't move. I was physically pinned to the floor. And I'd been meditating on that scripture and I thought I knew what it meant. It says to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I thought I loved mercy. Who doesn't love mercy? You know, if I back into your car in the parking lot, I hope that you'll have mercy on me. Of course I love mercy. Everybody loves mercy. And I thought I understood that. And the Lord knocked me to the floor. And in a moment, he downloaded a revelation of what that scripture meant. And he opened up my understanding. And he said to me, he said, Shane, to love mercy is not to love mercy for yourself, but it's to love mercy for the one who's offended you. He said, when my son stretched out his arms on that tree, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was saying, Father, have mercy on those that nailed me to this tree. Have mercy on those that said, give us Barabbas and crucify him. 
Jesus was crying out for mercy for those that offended him and did him wrong. He said to me, Shane, you've been crying out for justice. You love justice, you don't love mercy. And mercy triumphs over justice. You want me to judge. And he said, will you cry out for mercy for the person that's hurt you? Will you cry for their sake, not for your sake? And the last part of that says to walk humbly with your God. And I had this spiritual arrogance. Well, I didn't do the wrong. I was like that unmerciful servant who was forgiven such a massive debt by the master, and I'm holding something against somebody. And in that moment, I, was, I started to weep, but I wasn't weeping from my head. It was coming from so deep inside, I just started to weep and weep. I've never wept like that ever before, ever since. After about 15 minutes, I'm laying on the floor and I couldn't move. I cried every tear out of my tear ducts. My throat was dry. And now I'm laying on the floor and I can't move. And it's quiet. Then I heard the sweet, still voice of the Lord and he said, What do you want me to do for you? I know what it's like to have to wrestle with that, to let that person out of your heart, that, that person that's offended you and hurt you. I have tonight, I had Joel put some paper up here and some pencils. And tonight, in praying, I felt just sort of an act of obedience, if, if you want to. I've got a garbage pail here. And if you have a fence with somebody, if you've locked somebody in your heart and you want to let them out, somebody that's done you wrong, maybe it's from when you were a child, maybe you were bullied at school, maybe it's from a parent or a family member, or somebody even in this auditorium that you need to make things right with. If you want to write their name on one of these pieces of paper when you come up for communion, you can write it. You can even write a little note, whatever, if it's up to you. And then you can just crumple it up and put it in this garbage can before you take communion. This is what the Bible says about communion. It says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is my cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. I'm going to challenge you tonight. If you come to take communion from this place, it doesn't say that you proclaim his resurrection until he comes. It says you proclaim his death until he comes. The death is the price the master paid. And if you come up to take communion and you have offense in your heart, this is what it goes on to say. It says, So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ and eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many amongst you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we're more discerning with regards to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when you are judging in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. The scripture is pretty clear. If you come to this table to take it, you are declaring his death, the price that he paid for you. And that price will judge you if you have offense with somebody else and you don't deal with it. This is the place coming to the communion table is where you bring your offenses and you say, God, I give this to you. I'm not going to hold on to this any longer. So if you have offense, you may not have any offense. But if you do, I would just encourage you to write something. If you want to kneel and pray, I'll be down here. Joel will be here, a few others on a prayer team. And if you want to just pray with somebody or just pray on your own, I would just encourage you to just give those things to Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to come through this room and just start to unlock those people that you've held captive in your heart and set them free. Scripture says that it's for freedom that he set us free.